No wait, I mean with a chosen free Attack and defend, sword and shield How you gonna try and pass it round When you always see us free in midfield Hello and welcome to the Free in Midfield podcast It's been a long time since I've said that It's been a long time since you've heard from us I am your host Kojo As usual, back in business It's been a, It's been an interesting season And I thought I cannot let the season go without bringing this podcast back and talking to some of my favourite people in the football world. And with that said, I have brought two excellent people onto the show. For the first time, actually, I believe, it's Wayne's first appearance on the Freeman for Podcast. Wayne, how you doing, bro? I'm good. It could have We could be having this conversation under better circumstances if my team didn't do stupidity <laughs> in in sort of this Champions League fixture week. But I can't I can't really complain. Thank you for having me. Um, it's good to see you sort of back on your your podcast grind. So long may it continue. Thank you, thank you. I'm very happy to have you here. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, Wayne is an Arsenal fan. He's referring to well, I don't, doesn't want, don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but Wednesday. Night in the Champions League, they lost one to Porto. Um, but we'll talk about that. There's a second leg to go as well. So that's not that's not done and dusted just yet. And also joining us is my style of play podcast brother, Chelsea fan, good friend, Theo. How are you doing, bro? I'm good, man. Good. Always a pleasure to be back on the channel, all that stuff as well, man. So yeah, appreciate you having me on, man. Can't really talk about Chelsea right now, as we know already, but... <laughs> So things aren't that bad over at Arsenal, man. You need to come over and check out Chelsea, man. Things are bad. <laughs> Look, we've we've been there, done that. We've <laughs> our eight place finishes. We we've had our bad days. It's someone else's turn now. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Whereas, well, with my team, I mean, I'm not going to talk about my team today, but um, things are changing apparently in the boardroom and everything. So we'll see. Before I open my mouth and whether I go, I go on a rant or if we'll smiles again, we'll see. We will focus on Arsenal. Um, they did lose one no, as I mentioned earlier, to Porto in the Champions League, a late, late winner. Uh, 94th minute by Galliano. It's good finish. A lot of people questioning the goalkeeping, but we can get onto that. Wayne, firstly, it is the first leg. You know, you guys have been in good form. Your last two games in the Premier League, you've trounced your opponents, five and six, respectively. Um, or rather, six and five, respectively, anyway. Um, but yesterday's performance, I don't think it was terrible, but what was it that stopped Arsenal from getting another positive result? I think a lot of credit needs to go to Porto. Mm. I think defensively, they were fantastic. I know we didn't really do much to trouble them and we didn't play sort of at our free-flowing best like you might have seen against West Ham or Burnley or at times throughout this season. But Porto were, they were your typical annoying away day European fixture. And I just think that our group of guys aren't ready for that sort of just yet. They might have learned a little bit and hopefully going into the second leg, they've learned a lot from that first fixture. But there's just something about us in European games, especially away from home, that when we get to the knockout stages, it's like we're a deer in headlights and we just kind of freeze a little bit. And listen, I love what Mikel Arteta is doing. I love what the club are doing. I love this squad. But we're still learning on the job. It's our first knockout game in the Champions League for seven years. We've not made it past this stage since, I can't even remember, I think it's like 15 years or something like that. And it's just... It's something that you can't develop. I think in the Premier League now, we're seeing a little bit more maturity from us because we've got the experience of last season where we led for so long and we came up short at the very final hurdle. In the Champions League, we don't have that experience to lean on. We have nothing really that we can 
when when we're in the trenches, when we've got our backs to the wall, or when we can't break down the tough defense, or when the referee's getting on your nerves, or when the atmosphere's getting on top of you, we have no we have no real reference point to say, all right, well, we've been there, done that, and we can perform at this level. So, yeah, I think it's annoying that we conceded the way that we did. And I think the way that we did concede was just that level of immaturity and naivety that I'm talking about. Martinelli just spreading a pass that I don't think he needs to spread in the 93rd minute with 30 seconds left. You just kill kill the game. Take take the game out and then it's a nil-nil and you bring it back to the Emirates. But I'm confident for the second leg. I think I don't think Porto are that good and I think we're a better team than them. I think we've just made it a lot more complicated than we probably needed to. Well, that's that's the thing for you, really. When we talk about going into the Champions League, I remember Diogo Costa the day before came out and said essentially, no, you're coming to you're coming to our ground. We're not afraid of Arsenal. And that's that's a I think for their side, obviously, that's a great thing to have because you're not you're not saying, yes, we are Porto, we play in the Portuguese league. So it's a I guess by standard a lower level league, but you know, we don't fear anybody. Champions League is Champions League. Two games, we go head to head. I don't think Arsenal have this about them, but I'm just going to bring the, the point forward. Is there an arrogance in England where a team gets a tie and not the squad, not the manager, but rather some of the fans have this idea that because we are a Premier League side, because we are competing for the top title alongside City and Liverpool, um, and it's not just Arsenal fans, it could be anyone in general, but you know, is there an arrogance there that says, you know, and these clubs look at this and say, we have to capitalise on that, that sort of arrogance. Yeah, I think, particularly in the Arsenal fan base, there's a lot of that. And I think it just comes from quite a bit of what you don't see, I guess. Obviously, we're exposed to the Premier League. We watch as much Premier League football week in, week out. We kind of know the defences that we're going to be playing. You know the managers, you know the players, you know the quality. And by the, by the time sort of five, ten games have gone, you kind of know right, who's going to be in the title conversation, who's going to be fighting relegation and, and who's looking good, who isn't. You don't see Porto regularly. If you're an Arsenal fan, if you're a Chelsea fan, if you're a Man United fan, you're going up against them in the Premier League, Europa League. You don't see these guys regularly unless you're going out of your way to watch them. So I think that because you you hear right, Porto are third in, in the Portuguese League, you just assume that the Premier League is going to completely wash them. But these European fixtures are never like that. They're never like that. And they don't need to show us any respect. These Premier League teams are facing Arsenal every single week. You know how we're going to play, but you know that necessarily nine times out of ten, you're not good enough to stop it. And we saw that last season. We've seen it at times this season. Premier League teams double up on Saka. They double up on Martinelli. They do what they can to kind of rattle us. But they give us an element of respect because they know how good we are in Premier League football. When it comes to Europe, these teams don't respect us. All throughout our group stage, they were leaving Saka 1v1 and he punished them because he's that good. But when you get to the knockout stages, everyone is on a level playing field. It's knockout football. Anyone can beat anyone. And I think that the fat, our fan base, considering we have very, very little... I'm talking to a Man United fan and a Chelsea fan. I'm, we have very little European history in comparison to you, to you guys' teams. Right. I think that our, our fan base needed... We needed a little bit of humbling. Obviously, I would have loved to have won the first leg. But now you can see that, like I said, anyone can beat anyone. And it's, I saw Arsenal fans calling for teams that are like Bayern Munich. Like, what are we doing? Let's just have a little bit of respect, guys. Well, to be fair, I mean, to be, I'm not, not trying to defend Arsenal fans here on, on that one, but when you're watching Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel is trying decide to play Dyer and Upamakana together, True. yeah, maybe maybe, that, maybe <laughs> asking for Bayern is not such a bad idea. You um, might have a point. <laughs> Theo, um, okay, so 
we made the point that we do have European history, even though right now currently doesn't feel like it. But <laughs> um, looking at Arsenal's performance and looking forward to the second leg, what is it that you think they need to do that would make the difference? Because yeah, they just weren't as impressive as they were they have been in previous weeks, I guess. I don't think they need to do much different. To be fair, I think I, I, I didn't see the game live, so I've seen, only seen bits of the game. But just in terms of Arsenal, you know that when you go to Emirates, it's going to be a different game. You expect a different game. You expect home advantage to to play a factor. Um, Arsenal, for me, are a team that will be able to get that result they need in the second leg. I don't. I can't see them. I'm not, I don't think that from what I got to see last night, they didn't play bad. They weren't a bad performance from Arsenal. It was just an unfortunate last minute as well, almost last kick of the game from, from Porto um, to get the winner. So I don't think they need to do anything massively different to what they've been doing before. It's going to be a completely different game for for, for Porto when they go to, to the Emirates as well. My only question is, at what point does Mikel Arteta, which one is he going to go for? Because I don't think they can go for both the Champions League and the Premier League. I think... My only worry is I don't know who's Arsenal got next in the in the uh, the league before the the next leg of the the European tie, but whoever they've got, it, it, that that to me is a crossroads because you can only go up, realistically go for one or two. You can't go for the Champions League and the Premier League. So yeah, yeah. I don't think they need to do anything different. I think they just need to be able to um, to compete as well as Porto did in their their home fixture, make the home advantage work for them and kick on from there really absolutely um last question before we move on um and ask you feel first and when uh whenever you're ready you can you know give a rebuttal if, if need be a lot of criticism was given to raya for the goal now i i it was it's a good goal so i'm not gonna even give him some sort of blame for it you know but a lot of people got harping about positioning about goalkeepers but my my issue is personally thinking about it is I feel like the game has gone so much away from picking goalkeepers because of their goalkeeping ability. It's more focused on the getting the ball out kind of situation, keeping possession rather than worrying about out of possession. Um, but with that said, Theo, um, is Raya a problem? or And should they be looking at maybe reinstating the one and only Aaron Ramsdale? Or is it a case of, you know, it's just one game, let's, let's keep things moving? I mean, Wayne's probably better suited to the chances, but I think um, I, I think football's changed now, and I think your your expectation of what a goalkeeper is is completely different to how it was 10, 15 years ago, where your goalkeeper literally was just to keep the ball out of the back of the net. Now they've got to be involved in the phases of play, playing out from the back, being part of the the outfield players almost. So I think football's changed to the point where your goalkeeper can't just be an out and out. You know, save the ball in your hands. You've got to be able to be good with your feet. You got to be able to play it from the back. You got to be able to be commanded and all the rest of it. And um, I think they should stick with him. I don't. I mean, look, where are they in the league now? They're, they're doing very well. So I think in terms of where they are, this one game against Porto, yes, it was a mistake. Yes, it was stupid to, for 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 the way that they conceded the goal. But I don't think that was an ultimate reason to then change your man, uh, change your goalkeeper. I don't think the manager should do that. I think you should stick with him. Um, but it's not just Arsenal. There's other, you know, other teams are doing it. You know, I look at Chelsea. I look at, um, you know, United previous times as well. Before you had Onana in goal, so you, this is this is a goalkeeping issue. I think across not just even England and Europe as well. Um, but no, they should stick with him, man. Stick stick with him, man. Have faith in in Ray, man. That should change him. <laughs> Wayne, what are you saying? 
No, I agree. I think your goalkeeper isn't really a goalkeeper anymore. Like your goalkeeper is an eleven is the eleventh man mm. out outfield, and you need them to be able to pass. You need them to be able to not struggle. Sort of when you're being pressed, or if if you're just kind of passing the ball around the back, you you can't have them kind of stumbling over themselves or just punting it back to the opposition because you're just inviting pressure onto yourself. Long term, I don't think either of them are good enough. I think okay. we've got. I think we've got one of them situations where. We kind of had it. We've had it for years at Arsenal, where you've got like Giroud and Walcott. You've got t- two players that excel at two different things. Where if you combine the two, you've got the perfect player. Mm. If you had Raya's footwork and his ability to sort of claim crosses and command the box with Aaron Ramsdale shot shot stopping, you've got the perfect goalkeeper. Mm. And unfortunately, I think Aaron Ramsdale probably would have saved the shot in, against in the Porto game. I think he would have saved it, but. Everything the trade off isn't really worth it because I think they would have pressed him a hell of a lot more. He would have punted the ball to them sort of over and over again because his long balls are, are not sort of as direct and and as accurate as Raya. And I just think that for the end of this season and probably for next season, Raya is probably the main guy. I think he sticks in goal. I don't think we change him. I, I'd be surprised if Aaron Ramsdale was actually here next season. But I do think long term, I'm with you. I would like a goalkeeper that can save you if you need to be saved like look at Liverpool they're a very very good team but you know that if you get a very good opportunity against them they've got the best in the world and he's probably stopping it I don't have that faith that right if it comes down to a team that has one shot on target I can't say comfortably that David Raya is going to save it and it's a bit of a problem where at times we're not going to be at our best and against Porto we weren't at our best yeah. you might want your goalkeeper to to kind of bail you out sometimes and I don't think he could have done much with the set, the shot like I'm with you I think it's a fantastic goal I think sometimes you just have to say credit to them but another goalkeeper on another day probably saves it and I just I don't think there's anything really right Raya can change about himself, whether his footwork. He's a he's a short goalkeeper. He's on the shorter side as a goalkeeper as well. And obviously at this stage he's not going to change that. I yeah, like I said, I don't think either of them long term uh, are good enough, but we've got bigger fish to fry in sort of the transfer market than signing another goalkeeper, I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I I, I just need to ask a question because I, I saw I saw the reaction of fans and my question always is like even with United fans as well, you know, for example, Luke Shaw's injured again. Malassia, you don't know when he's back. So the left back issue, you need a left back. But is there an idea in your head of a player that you've seen or identified where you think, yeah, this is the guy, rather than, oh, you know, I've had enough of these guys who need a left back. Or who though? Uh, I don't know who's available, you know, kind of thing. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's not our jobs, but as fans, ideally having the idea would be, you know, would be good. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, ooh, I think we've got two fields here. So I will... Remove this one. Oh wait, no. Weird. Anyway, <laughs> back to business. Back to business. I'm getting used to this uh streaming thing again. Um, now second topic of the day. This is an interesting one. Now, two players in particular have been given some sort of battle by fans. The players in question are Bukayo Saka and Philip Foden. Um, and personally, I don't understand why. I don't get it. But I think they're two fantastic players. I think they're two very good young players that are going to become brilliant, even more brilliant than they are already. But there, there is a, there is an 
urgency from fan bases to give one of them or both of them or neither of them, whichever way you want to go, the tag of world class. So before we even get into our own sort of definition, because there's also two more terms that we want to quickly get through as well. For you, Wayne, we'll start with you. Whilst we wait for, for you to get back. Um, looking at both players, are they the finished article for, for you to now say this is them at their world-class stage? Or do you think there's still more to get to get from them? I think there's still more to come from both of them. Hmm. Um, I think Phil Foden is probably closer to his final form. Okay. But I think a lot of that is due to just the fact that Manchester City are so good. Right. I don't see Phil Foden going to... like Say if he was to leave, for example, and go to Arsenal... Um, I don't think he gets better than what he is now. But I think what he is now is fantastic. Whereas I think Bakayo Saka could go to Liverpool, could go to Manchester City and get better. And I think that when it comes to this conversation of like world-class, I'm, I'm, I know you mentioned Saka and Foden. I'm surprised you didn't see the conversation sort of this week of Bakayo Saka's numbers being compared to Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Don't worry. We're getting there. <laughs> but um, I think that, I think that the world-class thing is all about whether you break it down by their ability or whether they're, their performances are world-class or whether their consistency is world-class. And, and when you get a combination of all three, that's when, to me, you're a true world-class player. And I think when it comes to Phil Foden, it's difficult for me to just personally give him that mantle just because I think he's got world-class ability. Right. But anywhere outside of Manchester City, like we've seen him with England, he flatters to deceive. You can't really get into the starting eleven. When he does, he'll have like one good game and then three bad games. Whereas you see Saka, he flourishes with Arsenal. He flourishes with England. He comes back then flourishes with Arsenal again. Um, I I think that Saka's world-class now because he's been doing it for three seasons. Okay. But I do think that Arsenal fans have gone a little bit overboard with some of the comparisons. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll ask a question then to both of you, whoever wants to go first. It's um, are Saka... If for people that don't believe that are listening, that don't believe that he's world class, are Saka and Foden potentially victims of system? And the reason I ask that question is because I mean, I'm a bit old school, so I agree with the three year thing. I, I want three years of excellence and hopefully more, where you've just given us an insane level of consistency. League games, maybe 32 out of 38, you can drop back a seven minimum kind of thing, do well in Europe and the rest of it. Um, but I feel like football, even though it was still tactical back then as well in the 2000s and so on, it's always been tactical, a tactical game. There was an element of freedom. So if a player was allowed to go out there and really sometimes not follow the blueprint and really express themselves in another way and create something out of nothing. I don't think that stops now. I think you've got players that have that ability to do that, but maybe because of how, in my, well, I could be wrong, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, um, rigid tactics are now and how managers are adamant they want their teams to play, where maybe being stopped from maybe seeing players take that extra step on the pitch to do something out of the world that they're probably capable of doing, we just don't see it enough. Because I can count in my head maybe five players that I believe are truly world-class that I don't doubt, and neither of them are Saka or Foden, which is no bad thing to them. I think they're brilliant footballers. 
am, am I wrong here or feel? No, no, I think you're on the right line. So I think, um, I think, sorry, because I had to switch my thing. So That's right. for right. the laptop, but um, I, I think the, the the term world class for me now is very overused, and I think we. I'm not, that's not to downplay what Foden or Saka are doing because I think they're both very, very talented, probably arguably two of the best out of the country. Um, but world-class is like, for me, is just an elite level of football. Like, you have to have major honours attached to your name. This is just me. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you got to have, like, major honours attached to your name. Do you know what I mean? Like, you got to have something... Just because you play in a very good team doesn't make you world-class. And I'm not saying again about Saka or Foden. I'm just talking yeah. in general. Uh, I think it's hard, man. I'd like, I'd like, could, like, could Foden go to another team and do what he does now? It's a maybe. It's a big maybe, isn't it? It's a big maybe. You know, you know what I mean? Like, could he do that? Could could Saka? I, I, I'd have more faith in Saka. I think doing that because I, I see more about him. I see him more as a goal getter, chipping in with the assist and the goals. Mm. I see his 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 play, how he plays. All that's different for me, Foden. I don't know if I could see Foden playing for like a Real Madrid or a, do you know what I mean? Like a big team, like a big, okay. big team. Okay. No disrespect to, to City or Arsenal because they're, they're big teams. You can disrespect City on here if you want. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know, I know the Wayne was thinking there about, about Arsenal's a big team. You know? um, I, I just mean like in terms of like, you know, going to go and win things like, like Bellingham is a prime example of us, kind of a little bit. I'm not saying he's world-class either yet because I think he's on the, the road to world-class. But you can see the, the path he's on. He's trying to get to that world class stage where he's he's played for one of the biggest clubs in the world and all the rest of it. And I, that to me is someone who's on the road to world class. Right. But so are Foden and Saka. They're just behind him, in my opinion. Mm. In mm. terms of the world class, if you want to label them world class, to me, in my head, that's what you got to do. You got to go and play for the big clubs, big stage, get to the finals of certain things. You got to try and win them big trophies. And Foden's not even there. In my, in my head, he's not even in that conversation. I'll be honest, he's not. Wow. He's not in that conversation. He's not. I think he's there's not a many world class players for me. I but. think there's a combination of things as well. Where, like, say, for example, someone like Harry Kane, he has no honours, but the fact that he's mm. been doing it at what a consistent level for exactly. ten years now, 10, 12 years, whatever yeah, it's yeah. been that he's been around, like you can have the conversation. Uh, he's world class. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. need need those honours. But if you get those honours on your side as well, that I think that's when you're putting yourself into conversations where there's sort of no debate. Yeah. I think to the point on sort of tactics and how sort of structured football kind of is now and how sort of rigid it all is, someone like Eden Hazard, right. he would probably not be considered as world-class today because of the way that football is played. But when he was in his prime at Chelsea, banging, he wasn't necessarily getting 20, 25, 30 goals that people want to see as world-class now. But I don't think anyone would sit there and say to you that Eden Hazard wasn't a world-class footballer because everything he did and everything Chelsea done was through him. If he didn't have a good game, Chelsea probably weren't having a good game. So I think I think the other part of it is in football sort of today, I think the quality of football teams are better, but the individuals are probably a little bit worse than when we're considering like the likes of Ronaldo, Messi, Lewandowski, Suarez. These guys were world-class without sort of any sort of debates or any questions. Now it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more scattered or like through the team. You might have 
some world-class play, players are playing at a high level or the ability or they might show world-class technique, but they're not able to do it for 38, 38 games throughout a season and they're not able to do it on, on the European level. And I think a lot of that is down to the money in the Premier League. You would normally get guaranteed world-class players at the, at the big clubs only. Now you're getting guys who could be world-class, but now they're playing for like West Ham or Brentford or whoever it is. So I think... The big thing for me when it comes down to world class, like I said, I want to see it at least for three years and then I'll put you personally in my conversations and I'll be like, yeah, you're in that world class ability. And and I think like Theo said, is can you do it? Can I picture you doing it in the Real Madrid, the Barcelona's, in Italy, in France, if you're doing it on an international level, things like that, then, then I think you can't really start taken away from someone's performances, even if you don't necessarily agree with their ability. And the conversation to me always comes down to, if you're a top five player in your position in the world, even if your position is not necessarily the most sort of most strong, I think right wing at the moment is arguably the weakest, weakest position in football. You've got Salah, you've got Saka, and then you've got a couple of guys like Rodrigo, for example. He He's there or thereabouts, but he's only really having a good season this year. I think if you're in the top sort of three to five in your position in world football, you have to be world-class, for, for me anyway, if you've been doing it for a consistent period of time. If you just have one season, then no, I'm not going to call you world-class. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I was, I was, I was going to ask about definition next, but I like, I like that you said that because I was a bit worried about the top three to five because I... Like I said, I don't really think of many players as world-class, but the added bit of three years plus where you've just been undoubtedly brilliant and whether your team wins trophies or not, any success that they've had, whatever you deem success for your club, if you have reached a crazy level and you've been essentially the man or a key component of it, I can consider you world-class in that scenario. It's like... um. People might kill me for this, but when Kante hit the Premier League at Leicester in his first year, I couldn't call him world class because it was only year one. I was like, I'm holding off. I, I just, I know he's great. Looking at him, he's fantastic, but I just, I can't give him that tag yet. And then he went Chelsea and continued to kill it, kill it. So at that point, okay, you know, I, I can't, I can't really debate anymore. That's that's my guy. He's world class now. Um, Phil, so that- just on just on that Leicester comparison, then Mares, Mares at Leicester had a world-class season. Yeah. But then he went to Manchester City like two years later and barely played. But when he did play, he was still putting up numbers. Still brilliant, yeah. Would would Mares fit into your category of world-class? Because I think there are some players that are, that show world-class, but then because you're at somewhere like City and you don't play... Like, I think Julia, I think Alvarez at Man City could be world-class, but he's fighting with Haaland. So it's kind of impossible tough, for yeah. him to probably ev- ever get there. Um, would someone like Maris fit into your category at that time of someone who's a world-class player? I'm trying to remember if I called him world-class. I might have called him a top-class player, not world-class, but they, yeah, actually that's an issue with, with with City that I feel like players like Foden because I feel like the only players that are locked in in terms of that team are Edison, um, Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland. Even someone like Bernardo Silva, you can look at that guy and you know how fantastic that player is. But you just don't know if he's going to start in the week or enough for you to say, I've seen him play so many games that I know he's that guy for them. That's the issue with City. They do so much rotation because they've got such a quality squad. So that's something that I saw was used against Foden. It's like, you know, City win with or without Foden. I'm like, well, that's 
that's a fair point to make. But then they're not replacing Foden with, if I go back to May now, you're not replacing Ronaldo with, or rather midfield scores with Darren Gibson for the weekend. You know, it's it, it's Bernardo Silva yeah. and Phil Foden. These are two top class players, you know. Quality so, quality. Exactly. So, the quality yeah. remain, it maintains, but also yeah. they also fit the brand of play and the style of a play that Pep Guardiola wants from his team. So there's no there's no missing link there. You know, and the same thing that's what they would do to do Delph at left back and Zinchenko at left back and um get Sergio Gomez at left back, but even then they put Ake there sometimes as well. These are not left backs by trade, but when they play there and it looks so good, you think, wow, that's a world class season they're having because they've not been beaten. They're so good. So it's a difficult one with City, and that's why I was a bit iffy about the Foden one, because he's not world class for me, but his situation seems to me a bit difficult. He can't be the man in a club like City where everyone kind of has a part to play in this rotation unless he goes on a crazy season where Pep just can't drop him. That might be what he needs to do. Until then, he's kind of stuck. I, I just don't know. Uh, but that's that's fair. That's fair. Oh, yeah, Fiona, that's what I was going to ask you, Fiona. What was your definition? Because I think we got mine and Wayne's. What's, what's your your definition? What, to give? World class. Yeah, what, what, what does a player have to do for you to say that's a world class player? I'm like weighing a bit. I, I I think I don't I can't really put a cap on like the three year thing, but I want to see something consistently. How long that consistency is, mm. I think goes on the player as well. Like you, that you kind of made a good point because you could be consistently good for three years and be world class, but you only play like half the games a season because you've been on rotation. So it's it's not uh, it's for me it's hard, man. I don't I'll be honest. I'm old school. I'm old school. <laughs> there's not many world class players for me. I'll be honest. There's not. Yeah. There's yeah. really yeah. good players. But for world class, I've got to be like, I've got to be seeing things out of this world that like would make me want to fall in love with football again. Do you know what I mean? Like I need to see something where I'm seeing something week in, week out, and I'm mesmerized by someone's brilliance on the pitch all the time. Yeah. Or yeah. you're scoring amazing goals all the time, or you're defending really well nine out of ten times you're playing football. Like to me, that's world class. You've got to be doing something so good that even some of the opponents like flipping out like I can't believe he's just scored a goal that that goal's brilliant sometimes you see certain opposition teams and the, 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 someone scored and even opposition players like flipping out that was world class it was a brilliant goal so I need to see things like that man so there's not there's not for me there's not many world class players I'll be honest there's not there's there's people that have the potential to be very good world class players but are they world class now not a chance not right now because yeah. we've seen it you've seen the standard of the football some of the football we have to watch they put you to sleep <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 a weird one in football right now. Everyone has their own style, and if you don't if you don't stick to it, you know you're looked at as even players like now. Some players would call luxury players. I remember Urza was called a luxury player by some Arsenal fans because I guess he didn't fit the the overall type of football that Arsenal are trying to play. But that's 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 another discussion for another day. Just so, just one more point. Sorry, I was going to say as well. Sometimes world class players are the ones that are unsung heroes as well for me. So mm. I would say someone, although he declined very quickly, but someone like Aspilicueta, who I'm not saying he's world-class in terms of his ability, but just as a player, yeah. world-class. So it depends. Thiago Silva, I'm not saying he's world-class now, but he's a world-class player. Do you know what I mean? Like There's certain things you're not saying you have yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like You could just be a part of a, a good team or whatever, but you know you have to you have to read between the lines, man. Yeah, no, like, that's what's fair to you. That's the tag I used to give to... Um... 
I mean, Busquets is everyone who Busquets was, but uh, that's what yeah. I used to give to I'm sorry, hero though, man. Yeah, I used to give that to Carrick at Main Night because Carrick was never really the guy that I was spoken about, but we didn't we didn't function very well when Carrick wasn't on the pitch. Was like, Joe Cole's another one. Joe, Joe Cole's brilliant to watch as well. People yeah. talk about him, but when you go back now, you ask many ex players that played with him who who's the best player you played with, they'll say Joe Cole. Man. Man. Oh, all right. Well, that's all class. Two more definitions to go through. <laughs> um, generational talent. Uh, don't get me started on this one. This is my biggest beef. This, I, I hate this one more than world class. And the reason why I hate it is because I feel like you can't call someone a generational talent until they're at the end of their career when you've seen something. Generational. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because for me, generational makes, makes it sound like you are a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Yeah. These players are supposed to be very rare. So... You talk about Maradona and Pele are very rare players. Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are very rare players. I guess R9, Ronaldinho, if, if you want to put them in that. Um... <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I want to get your two pets on this because I feel like you're agreeing with me, but I feel like you were a bit like, I don't know, I don't know. How do you feel? Is it there? He's there, I think. Oh, he connects like, to the audio. All right, well, Fia, you go first. Let's go. You go first. What, what are you saying? Uh, no, he's back. He's back. He's back. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. Sorry about that. It looked like I got kicked out. <laughs> the generation, generational conversation. Do you know what? Um, unless I, I think I'm with you. You can only really call someone generational once, once they've ever done something that is generational. Like, I don't think we need to see the end of Kylian Mbappe's career to say that he's generational. Right. Like, he's done things that we've not seen for, like, a hat-trick in a World Cup final, doing numbers. And I know I appreciate it's the French League, but it's still numbers that we've never really seen before. Whereas someone like Haaland, I think you could say maybe he's not a generational player. He's maybe a generational goal scorer. Like, no one comes Premier League and done what he done. Immediately, but he's yeah. not the yeah. He's not the overall sort of player, but... I think generational is is it's a Twitter slogan that doesn't really mean anything. Like mm-hmm. so people keep throwing it around to to players that that have like one good performance or have like a string of four or five games. If you're breaking records, then you can be put into generational conversations. And I think if you're showing the potential of breaking records, I, I think Jude Bellingham has the potential to be someone that is in the generational conversations because nobody goes to Real Madrid at that age playing in a pretty much, I would say, a very weakened by their their usual standards Real Madrid side. Like, they don't have a striker. Defensively, they're kind of all over the place. Midfield, they've got some brilliant, brilliant players, but you've still got Modric and Cruz kind of running things there, at least backstage, but they're on the, the sort of back end of their careers. For him to go from Birmingham to Dortmund, do what he'd done at Dortmund, to then go to Real Madrid and do what he's doing at Real Madrid and breaking numbers that even guys like Zidane, who was arguably at the time a generational player, what he was showing, you have to put him in that conversation. But yeah, I think generational for me, you have to break records or at least show that you're coming close to breaking records consistently. Like Haaland, Mbappe, these guys have been there, done that. You can't argue with that tag really in terms of their generational abilities, but not everyone can be given that. It's, it's Again, it's like world-class. If you're not the top sort of one of your era, 
Yeah, you can't be generational. Like world class, if you're top, if you say top three, top five, your position, whatever, three five years, cool. Generational, you have to be number one of your era, and I don't even think the Messi Ronaldo era has finished yet. They're still both like shadows looming because they're still playing football, yeah, yeah. still doing the madness in whatever country they're doing it in. So Mbappe and Haaland era can't even start. But I think everyone kind of appreciates that no one's really going to come into the top two conversation apart from those two. So for the next sort of five, ten years, they're going to be having their own Messi-Ronaldo type face-off like for Ballon d'Ors and whatever. That's generational to me. Like, that's generational to me. Anything else, you can't, doing it for a season, you're not generational. You could have a generational game if you score like six in a game or something like that. But no, I, I just think it's a twit. It's a Twitter thing that that doesn't really mean much to me personally. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That makes me happy. I can't lie, because I, I, I there's sometimes I've been seeing and it, it's it just drives me up the wall. Um, I go was the last one. The last one I shared with you guys was Prime, but I guess Prime is kind of you know again that's the end of career. You see when the best years were kind of thing. That that one kind of speaks for itself. So there's no problem there. Um, but yeah, we'll go into the weekend's games. We'll go into the weekend's games because we'll go to the final first, uh, uh, League Cup final. That you don't. <laughs> no, we can do it, man. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because uh, <laughs> we did speak about it on on the start of play a little bit, but I, I wanna, I just wanna see what your thoughts are in in terms of what you think the lineup should look like. It doesn't have to be man for man, but more just of what your game plan should be. Considering Liverpool's threats, obviously they won three one yesterday as well. For anyone that's listening, whatever day it was Wednesday. Liverpool won 4-1, I believe, at home against Luton. They were 1-0 down at half-time, but came back in the second half and ran away with the game. But they have got a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of injuries in key areas, I should say. Trent out. Alisson is a very big doubt. Salah wasn't in the back of the squad for, for Luton, so I don't know what his situation is, but they have for sure lost Darwin Nunez and Diogo Jota. Um, and we have very big doubts as well on Dominic Zabuzlai. Is this uh, is this probably your best chance, considering your form this year and what Liverpool are doing right now? Is this your best opportunity, case by case, to beat Liverpool? Maybe. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a good opportunity. I think any final is a good opportunity. I think what we were saying before. I think it's a lottery. It's who who wants it more on the day? I've said that before, but. I think we've got a good opportunity now to try and build a very small stepping stone on trying to do something for the next season for Chelsea. And I think this cup, like I said before, this cup in in terms of what it means to Chelsea now will be getting into some sort of European football if we can get to the qualifying rounds of the Conference League and hopefully install some sort of positive momentum into some of these younger players because some of these players... They've never been in the final in England before. They've never really had to do this. There isn't many leaders in that Chelsea squad at the moment as well. So that should hopefully install a bit of that in them, a bit of belief, mm. hopefully confidence in the manager as well that he's, he's doing the right thing with the squad. But even with Liverpool's injury record, you see, I watched the game yesterday. You, you, they, none of the players that were out were, were missed, I'll be honest. They, they, done, they struggled a bit in the first half, but apart from that, they done well. And, you know, Kelleher's going to start and goal for them. I think Gomez will probably occupy that left space on the left back side. Maybe Robertson, he came up. Um, you'd expect uh, Connor Bradley to do the right side. They've got Virgil van Dijk, who scored last night as well. I think Kanate didn't even make it on, but he can come back in the final. Um, they've still got a good midfield. Endo's doing really well for them. 
the front line is the front line for Liverpool. But in terms of Chelsea, I think we just got to do more of the same. We've seen a bit of consistency recently. Obviously, the City game, the Palace game were, were two good performances, albeit we only got four points from them. Um, obviously, Wolves was poor, but we've seen consistency. And I think one of the good things that um, Potticino has done is he's been able to try and keep the squad as as consistent as possible, bar a couple of injuries with Badia Shield, Tiago Silva coming in for him, then Kowal coming in for Silva when he got injured. But I think, me personally, I would start on Kunku in this game on Sunday. Um, I'd possibly, uh, it's hard, man, because I want to play Sterling because I think he deserves it, especially after the City performance. But, in fact, no, I am. I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with Sterling on the left, Okay. Left side of the attack, and then I'm going to put Cole Palm on the right. Conor Gallagher occupies his space behind them. The two in midfield would be Enzo, uh, Fernandez, Caicedo. The bat line, I'd keep exactly the same. Um, I think there's a race against time for Thiago Silva to be fit for that game, but he slows down. Yeah, he's 40. He's nearly, I think he's 40 in September. So I think I would stick with Cowell, Dezazi as my centre backs, Chilwell. Gusto as the right back, left back, and then um, Petrovic in goal. But it's the best opportunity to get some silverware. And it's our only opportunity to get silverware this season. So we've got to go for it like it's like it's the Premier League or the Champions League. Man. We've got to treat it like a, a respected final that it is. Um, but Liverpool going to want it, man. Klopp, Klopp's final, final tour of, of Wembley starts there. So he's going to want it as well. So we've got to be on, on our game and take the game to them as well. We can't sit back and allow them to, to press us like... City did in the second half on Saturday, but we've got we've got to take the game to them. Absolutely. Uh Wayne, your your beloved Arsenal has beaten Liverpool this season. Um and I say you have to be fair, I think you battered them in that game actually, if I'm gonna be calling a spade a spade. Um I know Arsenal and Chelsea don't really get along, but if you were to give Mr. Pochettino any sort of advice, where were the areas that you think Arsenal Exposed Liverpool that that gave you the best chance of winning that game that they could potentially capitalize on as well. I think we took them by surprise by playing Havertz up front, going more direct, not trying to play our usual sort of quick tempo football. Sometimes going long and taking territory if we need to. Sometimes sending Havertz to occupy Konate um, or, or Van Dijk. Sometimes looking to not win the first ball, but win the second ball. And I think that Chelsea have two players, if they were to play in Nicholas Jackson and Conor Gallagher, that can excel at doing something like that. If they go direct to Nicholas Jackson, even if he doesn't beat Konate or Van Dijk in the air, Conor Gallagher has an engine and is a machine in that midfield that he will pick up the second ball if it lands near him. Or even if McAllister picks it up and, and Conor Gallagher is in the vicinity, he's going to be on his toes. And I think even though Chelsea, look, Chelsea, as an Arsenal fan, I found them comedy this season. Like, I've enjoyed watching them for funny reasons. And <laughs> But the thing is, even saying that, like, big games hasn't been Chelsea's issue this year. Like, they gave us a game at Stamford Bridge. They gave Manchester City two games this season. They battered Spurs at uh, Spurs home ground. Like, big games, they tend to... Their, the way that they, they play, their style of football tends to translate well to big games. The yeah. problem is... Chelsea have this DNA of winning finals. Poch has this DNA of bottling. Which one is just going to be which one's coming to the forefront in in this game? Because Theo mentioned that Manchester City game. 
the blueprint for the Liverpool game was what Chelsea done for the first 50 minutes. And then Poch changed something. And it's like they went to a back five. They went to yeah. sit back and they just tried yeah. to hold on to the, this 1-0 lead. Don't do that. You can't do that. Liverpool are there to be got at. Like Liverpool are not as good as, as I guess, people think they are. They're very, very good. Don't get me wrong. That's why they're title contenders. That's why they're going for a quadruple. You can argue whether it's the quadruple, but they're going for a quadruple <laughs> this season. Um, but they're not as good as... I think Liverpool fans want people to believe they are. Like, they've got Mo Salah, and then they've got a bunch of guys that are performing very, very well. And they've got Van Dijk, sorry. Mo Salah, Van Dijk, and then they've got a bunch of guys that are performing really well. I think they're there to be got at if Poch doesn't bottle it. And... I think if Chelsea play their football, it could be a very, very good game. If they play football for 45 minutes or 50 minutes, they'll lose. Because that that final 40 minutes or that half an hour where they try to sit back and allow Liverpool to play, they're not good enough defensively to stop Liverpool from, from scoring. But they're good enough offensively to cause cause them trouble. So it'll be interesting if, like Theo says, they play in Kunku. I'm not sure if that's the game for against Liverpool I'm not sure if he's the person for Van Dijk and, and Konate just because the the Nicholas Jackson is like um, is a bit like Darwin Nunes where he brings chaos with him like he might not necessarily know what he's doing you might not necessarily know what he's doing but he's doing something and it's troubling defences whether it's running in behind whether it's link up play whatever it might be um, I think that you've got to keep him in and Raheem Sterling definitely has to play on that left-hand side because if Trent isn't going to be there, who is it? Conor Bradley, yeah. big final, first time he's ever played at this sort of level with the amount of eyes watching. And he's a talented player, but you, as like boxers say, you don't know how you're going to feel until you get punched in the mouth. Like Bradley's never been there on this stage. How is he going to? How is he going to be when the bright lights of Wembley are shining on him? I think Raheem Sterling can can take advantage of that. And I think Chelsea's midfield. Although, sort of quality-wise, this season it's not been as good as it should do on paper. Their midfield is perfectly suited for a matchup against Liverpool, especially with Curtis Jones not there, because Curtis Jones used to do like a lot of the dirty work for Liverpool that Conor Gallagher does for Chelsea. And with him not being there, I think someone like Caicedo, if you go man-to-man in midfield, you can press Liverpool. You just—it's just about the quality on the ball, and you need Enzo to have a very, very good game so that you can play through them as well. But uh, listen, I don't think it's all dead and buried, like some people think that Liverpool are just going to come walk into Wembley and it's game over. I, I think that that Chelsea can give them a really good game. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and I'm I'm excited to see that final as well. Another game I'm excited to see. Uh, before we get to our quick score predictions, will be uh, I think it's an eight pm kickoff at the Emirates. Yeah, I don't know what they've done to us, man. On a Saturday as well, like a Saturday eight pm. I don't get it. I don't it's know like, what it's, it's, it's appalling. It's appalling business. I think. I think uh, whoever I spoke to last time told me they had the idea of almost copying the La Liga model, where they have La Liga TV, so every team gets yeah. time on TV. But the difference between La Liga TV and England is that they get their three pm's on TV, so they yeah, all exactly. get money. Whereas over here, we don't get to see our teams play. But you're yeah. playing 8pm, um, so it's going to be a nightmare for Newcastle fans as well because everyone knows going back from Kiss Cross to Newcastle is hell. Um, that's a long journey, believe me. But um, Arsenal-Newcastle. Now, last year, both teams did very well. Newcastle going to the Champions League. Arsenal compete for the title. Arsenal have continued to compete for the title, but Newcastle have had a very indifferent season. That said, we know they're threats, but they do have also a lot of injuries. Wayne, is this a game for you that you are 
maybe I'll use the word expecting Arsenal to bounce back from? Or are you still wary of the threats that Newcastle possess? I'm expecting us to batter them. We we owe them. I, I, we owe them for what they done at St James's Park. First game, I forgot. Yeah, we <laughs> owe them for what they did at the Emirates last year, where the ball was only in play for like twenty minutes or whatever it was, and they came <laughs> and they frustrated us. We owe them, and mm. if it was Newcastle of last season, I'd be paying them a little bit more respect. And I think they've still got quality, um, but this season it's a little bit different. Like they're shipping goals for fun, and they've got injuries that like most teams would kind of crumble. If if you had the level of injuries for their quality and to see a Newcastle team concede two to Bournemouth, they've conceded two to Nottingham Forest. He shipped four at home to Luton, and these aren't these aren't big teams. Like if you're if you're conceding, what's that? What six eight eight goals in eight goals in three games to teams that are in and around like the bottom half? I know Bournemouth are having a good season, but. They're in and around the bottom half of football. They conceded three to Manchester City, which is probably a little bit more expected. Liverpool, they they conceded four. Just defensively, they're a little bit all over the place this season. And because I think a lot of it is to do with the Champions League. I think I don't think their squad was ready to finish top four last season. Like they've got a project going on there, but they're step by step. <laughs> if they finished in the Conference League or if they finished in the Europa League, they would probably be better set now to push on for top four this season. But because they just jumped straight into the Champions League, they got heart. It was heartbreaking for them. It was brilliant for everyone that wasn't a Newcastle fan, the way that they got knocked out. But that kind of thing carries over. And I just think that their away record this year isn't anywhere near as good as it was last year. So I would be very disappointed if we're not putting them to the sword. I'm not expecting it to be 5-6-0, like in our last couple of games. But I'm expecting us to pepper their goal. And I'm expecting us to, to comfortably win. And I think... After what Porto done to us, Porto gave us the Newcastle game of last season at home, where they they kind of dived for everything. They had the referee in their hand. They wasted our time, and they're perfectly within their reason to do. Like I'm not angry at them for doing that. You you take any advantage you can if you're not the better team on paper, and if you don't think you can out out sort of football them. And I think Newcastle will try to do the same, but I just think in the Premier League this season we're uh, we're, we're just different in terms of our mentality. Last year, we didn't know what to expect and we were just kind of riding the wave and just enjoying it. This year, we know what Newcastle are probably going to try to do and I feel like Mikel Arteta in the Premier League likes to game sort of game plan accordingly and I think he'll have a game plan. I'm just more concerned about our injuries. Like Gabriel Jesus played a game against Nottingham Forest missing for three weeks. We need him to be at least on the bench for this Newcastle game so that we're thinking ahead to Porto. Guys like Tom Miyasu, he was fine at the Asia Cup, putting in 90 minutes back-to-back for Japan, comes back and we don't see him again. Um, you got you got guys like Zinchenko. He played like 45 minutes and then randomly got subbed off against Liverpool, I think it was. And we've not, we don't know anything about it. So I think we need to start seeing some of these guys come back on the bench. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm expecting us to do a job on Newcastle. So you feel Newcastle... Uh, what's the best way for them to approach the game? Should they, for joke's purposes, try and get another twenty minutes of gameplay only, or um, is there is there um, looking at what? Well, I guess Porto, it it was a good goal. They didn't really you know beat Arsenal with amazing sort of play, but is there yeah. something for? Is there a jink in the armor? If that's the question, is there a jink in the armor for Newcastle to maybe expose and potentially get a positive result? 
No, I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think Newcastle are exhausted. I think the players are are, are exhausted. I think they've had a, a mad eighteen months of football. You think when they got into the the top four last season, then they got into the Champions League. That they've had injuries along the way, and I think Wayne said it right as well. They haven't got a squad where they can start rotating. Uh, you know, they had a lot of youngsters. I think a couple of games ago, a couple of youngsters on the bench, and um, obviously Lewis Miley's come in. He's done really well for them, and they've. I think Lewis Hall's there, but he's not really been playing. I think that's to do with his loan agreement or something. But um, I can't see anything but an Arsenal win. I think Arsenal, off the back of that performance um, against Porto as well, I think they're, I think they're going to want to do right, you know, and want to get that out of their system very quickly. So, in the in a, in a way, this game on Saturday probably can't come quick enough for the for the Arsenal players because they want to try and get that Porto result away from them, start focusing again about the Premier League. Obviously, as a Chelsea fan, selfishly, I want Arsenal to get the win. I think Newcastle's on 37 points, we're on 35, so Arsenal can do us a little favour there. But um, <laughs> no, Arsenal, Arsenal. I, I can't say anything about Arsenal win there. I think um, I agree with Wayne, though. I think there's some injury on both sides, but I think for Arsenal, you know, Lysa Zinchenko, Jesus again, I feel like he's kind of, he comes back, he plays two or three games and he's injured again. I think we need to see him consistently, see what he can do. Yeah. I still think a striker in the summer, but I think just for this game this season, I think you could do with someone like Gabriel Jesus in that team because I think he would be, you know, be licking his lips trying to get on that pitch to try and score some goals against Newcastle. Oh, Lord knows he needs some goals, man. Arsenal is yeah. to be the striker. He's not doing it and now it's led to people on Twitter giving him criticism because I think Ivan Tony has equaled his Premier League output already for the season, which is which is a big well, problem. He was banned as well. He was banned. And he was banned as well. So, oh, so hey, hey. Just putting out there. Yeah. Just putting yeah. out there as well. <laughs> Jesus has been injured for as long as Tony's been banned. That's what I'm running. The banned. That's, that's what I'm running with. Before, before, before we wrap up, we have to talk about Man United. Why talk about yeah, United? Yeah, yeah. Why? No, see, <laughs> does it <laughs> every time? I know it's it's Fulham this weekend, right? And it's what four Premier League wins in a row, five wins all competitions. Yeah, Spurs Spurs are starting to start that, that top four place is yours, right? No, no, it's not. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No, you're not. No, um, what, what the the good thing for us is whilst we're getting here in form, it looks like I mean Aston Villa are still good side, and they will they're starting, they're starting to get some good positive results. Spurs, on the other hand, I think once you inch, it's weird with them because you, you know what their core is and the core is really good, but you'd think only losing maybe one of them would maybe give them a little bit of a wobble, but they'll be okay. But it's, it seems like if you lose one defender, the system crumbles, or you lose another defender, system crumbles. When Madison's not there, all creativity is lost. You know, it's, it's a weird one. And I think they still haven't found their balance here. So they've had a good season. Whether they finish fourth or not, that's their problem. I don't know, but... Even if they don't finish fourth, I don't think they've been bad. But I just think this might be the prime time for us to take advantage of that. And it's good that someone like Hoyland is getting on the score sheet now. He's looking confident. Garnacho's put that right side on lock, which means I don't have to see 21 average again. That's his name now. We don't call him, we don't call him by his real name. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, but um, no, I'm, I'm positive. I'm positive. I'm more positive about the fact that we've got um, Ineos and uh, uh, Jim Ratcliffe in. And then he's done it there. Yeah, he's done it again. I need him, sir. There's only one slayer <laughs> in my life, and that's Cyrus Ferguson. But um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 see, we'll see how things go. I'm more excited for that because it looks like they're doing the right things. I will have the plan to do the right things, but whether that comes through or not, who knows. But uh, quickly before we wrap up, let's just uh, do 
Rather than score predictions, just give me a team you think is going to win. If it's a draw, a draw. Aston Villa, not in the forest. Be it. Uh, Villa win. And Wayne? Yeah, Villa win. Okay, Brighton, Everton? Brighton to win. I think that will be a draw. Okay, Palace, Burnley? I can't remember. I'm trying to think what I said yesterday. Um, Palace, I think Palace win. Palace? Uh, Palace yeah. at home? Yeah. Palace at Selhurst Park? Yeah, Palace win. Palace win. Uh, Man United, Fulham? United win. Yeah, Man United win. Okay, Bournemouth, Man City? City win. Hey, man, the title's there to be won. Come on, Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. I'm, 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 right now, at this stage, anyone but City. I'll have that. I'll have that. Um, Arsenal, Newcastle. Arsenal. I think we said that earlier, of course, earlier. Yeah. And the Sunday game is, uh, if you bear me one second, I do apologise. It is Wolves at home. Yeah, Wolves at home to Sheffield United. Sheffield United. That's the yeah. Oh, Wolves, Wolves, Wolves. Yeah, Wolves win. I think that yeah. I think that will be a draw. Wolves, Wolves mess up in games that you think that they're gonna win, and they win games you think they don't. So I think Sheffield United will get a draw from that. That's a fair point. That's an advice I should use for my FPL. So I'm gonna look at my team. No, I recommend this decision actually. Um, and of course, the final: Chelsea, Liverpool. Oh, I gotta say Chelsea, and I can't say Liverpool. It's mad. Chelsea win. I think Chelsea win on penalties. I told you. I, I told you, Fiona. Nah, you just say that. No, I think he's going all the way to penalties. I think it's going all the way to penalties. Told you, first final in a row, three penalties, and this time you'll take it. That's what I want to see. Um, what? Well, I forgot this game as well. West Ham, Brentford. West Ham at home. Uh, West Ham. That's a draw. Yeah, That's right. got nil-nil last on match of the day all over it. <laughs> I, well, I, I live I live in I live in East London and East London is very, very sad right now. So I need some, some uplifting the spirits. So they better win. They better win. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm gonna say thank you to my guests. Uh Wayne, first, thank you so much for joining us. Your first time on the Freeman Four podcast, hopefully first of many. Uh quickly before you go, anything to plug, maybe your social media or anything else. Yeah, appreciate you for having me. Like I said earlier, it's, it's good to see you back doing the podcast feeling with this with this podcast. So keep hopefully it keeps on going and continue to be consistent. Anyone that wants to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Wayneswell20 underscore. Um, and then I do my own podcast stuff for Arsenal related. So can you believe it? Spelt Carnu like our our legend, our club legend. And um, I'm also involved in Latte Firm as well for post match Twitter spaces. So yeah, you can catch me on any of those. We can look at that. Theo, of course, where can they find you, bro? Yeah, man, again, appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, obviously, style of play football, you already know that weekly, me and Kojo are on there every week. So make sure you come and sub, sub on the channel, the YouTube channel, go on the Spotify, all of that. And also from the Shed End Chelsea content, if you're a Chelsea fan, from the Shed End Instagram, Twitter, or whatever they call it now, Twitter, X, uh, YouTube as well. Subscribe on there. So appreciate all of that as well, man. But yeah, lovely being on again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. And yep, free me for podcast. If you're listening, you know where to find us. If you're new to us, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. We are back and it feels good to be back and have a nice one. Peace. Uh, whole thing gets done up. How you going to try and take three down one up? Bro on the ball and you know he a gonna release it quick. I'll displace the runner. Lights get heavy when they're bright on you, but I'm iron real so I always shoot. Are you really sure for a 2v2? You could get left back when the third one's through. I'm the man in my city, so trust where United. So the walls can't come for the team. All enemies just spur me on. They can't make me mad. I'm the chosen son. No wait, I mean we're the chosen three. Attack and defend, sword and shield. How you going to try and pass it round when you always see us free midfield?